Hello and welcome to The Vasey View. This week's guest is Constantine van Orange, who is a member of the Dutch royal family, but a very successful tech entrepreneur in his own right. As you'll hear at the end of the podcast, he does make the point that the Dutch royal family have to work for a uh, living. And he uh, is a business school graduate, management consultant, works with Deloitte and set up uh, Startup Europe, and now runs uh, is an envoy for TechLeap, which is the Dutch uh, startup quango, if you like. Uh, and I've wanted to speak to him for ages because I'm obviously fascinated by what's going on in the Netherlands and in Amsterdam. And we know that there are many, many Dutch unicorns uh, that are well-known, Adyen, Elastic, Booking, TomTom, uh, and others. And in fact, when I was uh, preparing for this podcast, uh, I found out, obviously, that the Dutch have a long history in success in tech. They are apparently the inventors of Wi-Fi. They're the inventors of Python, the computer language. They're the inventors of Bluetooth. They're the inventors of the speed camera, even though most of them go around on bicycles. Uh, And in fact, uh, thanks to Philips, they're the inventor of the CD. And who knew that the hole in the middle of a CD, for those of you old enough to remember what a CD is, is the Dutch 10 cent coin. So without further ado, let's get talking to Constantine. So last week I was in uh, Paris talking to the French ambassador for tech, Pascal Cagny, and now I have moved virtually to Amsterdam. I wonder whether I could just open with a sort of open question, if you could talk about uh, what is going on in Holland at the moment. Uh, What is the tech scene like? I was over in Amsterdam last year meeting a few of the uh, Dutch companies, both unicorns and small startups, but it does seem a very vibrant scene at the moment. Yes, it's, it is very vibrant, and it's uh, building on a, a culture of innovation. Um, I, I'd like to say that the Netherlands wouldn't, at least half of it wouldn't exist if we didn't have innovation, because we uh, obviously had to reclaim the country from the sea. So um, innovation has been, uh, has been driving um, uh, our economy and, uh, and also looking forward. And I think the challenge was to, um, to latch on to uh, the whole new tech development, which is um, driven by venture capital, which is uh, also um, uh, innately global. And so if you're a small country, it's not always obvious that you, uh, your companies immediately have this global mindset. And though the Dutch are pretty international, we still have a market of 17 million um, consumers. And uh, many companies will start in the local market and will then find it hard to go international. So that's one of the challenges. Um, but over the last few years, um, specifically Amsterdam, in terms of software and, uh, and, and regions like Eindhoven in terms of hardware and, and deep tech, have, have been able to attract um, a lot of foreign talent and, uh, and also capital to, to start um, growing a tech scene that is um, becoming globally competitive, I think. And we have obviously some some good examples of exits like Adyen and, and Elastic Search and uh, and Takeaway uh, Just Eat Now and, and so a number of companies 
that uh, that really play uh, in a European or global league. Yeah, I think, I mean, the Dutch mindset is an interesting thing to explore because obviously uh, the Dutch have been merchants uh, for 500 years. Rotterdam is probably Europe, must be Europe's largest port. Schiphol must be Europe's largest international hub. So you are a trading and outward looking nation. And I always like to joke that um, the Dutch are quietly running the world. When I was a minister, EE, uh, the mobile phone company was run by a Dutchman. Vodafone in the UK was run by a Dutchman. I like to joke that Nick Clegg, who is half Dutch, he is, is yes, now he is. running Facebook. <laughs> so, I hope for him he's not running it. But <laughs> Neely Crows was the commissioner. Um, so the Dutch do have this kind of outward-looking trading mentality. Yes, but tech is not trading. Um, I think um, what is key here is that you would that you need an ambition to grow a global company. And building companies is is really something else than than trading because trading is just is basically connecting uh, markets and uh, and yes we are good uh, at trading yes we are as a country uh, relatively open and international uh, but building tech companies is a, is a different trade and also um, attracting foreign um, especially foreign investment or venture capital funds many of our of our traditional, very innovative companies um, would be very uh, conservatively financed. And so attracting um, venture capital, allowing um, investors uh, not only a stake, but also a say in your company and, and sharing your strategy is not something that came naturally to most of our entrepreneurs. So this is something that's of a cultural change, which we've seen obviously over the last uh, years. But if you look at um, a company like Booking.com, they uh, they had to uh, sell out to an American investor in um, um, in, in well, the early part of uh, the last decade uh, because there just weren't enough uh, venture capital funds in in Europe or in the Netherlands to actually support a company like that. So I think they sold around 100 million, and and now before COVID they were worth around 80 to maybe 85, 90 billion, and that whole upside has not been captured in Europe. Though we, obviously they deliver jobs and all that, but no, this is a perennial uh, moan in the UK as well, and in fact, I think it's a perennial moan uh, throughout the European tech ecosystem. And I'm fascinated by what you say because I do think that there is a kind of innate conservatism in European investors. You tend to find that European investors only want to invest in uh, profitable companies, companies that are already making a return, whereas. It, I always used to say that the, you know, we have Silicon Valley in the UK. What we don't have is the kind of wall of capital that the US has that is prepared to take big bets on small, not yet profitable companies. So, what, do you think that is changing in in Holland? Yes, no. In Europe, in gen, I mean, Europe, especially in in London and the UK, um, where you probably have ten times the the total volume of capital than the Netherlands. Obviously, per capita, that's a bit different. But still, the UK has been uh, really strong in Europe and also actually um, Scandinavia, specifically um, um, Stockholm, Sweden, have been um, uh, building larger and, and uh, larger funds and also more visionary funds that do invest in, in companies to grow their market uh, share instead of just looking at, at, uh, at early and steady returns. So, I mean, it, it, there have been, I think, some moves by the Dutch government to encourage this kind of uh, startup investment, if you like, in terms of, 
I mean, I was told, and this may be wrong, and you can correct me, uh, that there's now, you know, there wasn't a culture before of people taking share options and equity stakes, but the, by changing the tax treatment, that has encouraged kind of investment in startups. Is that fair to say the government's had something to do with kind of helping create this tech ecosystem? Um, well, the, there obviously were there were some incentives for innovation, and uh, but those are not typically um, bound by tech. Uh, I think uh, the, the government has uh, some co-investment scheme, um, which is relatively limited. Uh, um, but no, we don't have a, a tax um, stimulus like you have in the UK for early uh, early stage investment, like the the SEIS or EIS um, um, fiscal treatment. And and we actually are very jealous of that. So uh, I, I would love that. But I think the, our um, our fiscal uh, agency and, and the Ministry of Finance feel that that, that there's a lot of deadweight loss in that uh, in that solution, and so they're looking at more direct ways of supporting the venture capital industry through through co-investment and maybe through um, collaboration with the European Investment Fund uh, by providing um, uh, funding for the, the venture capital system. And then we have uh, recently initiated something like uh, it's called the uh, um, uh, a bank like BPI or uh, Germans have KFW, which is a, a, a public investment bank which can now directly invest in companies or could uh, support fund-of-fund structures. Um, but those, they don't, that, that institution has not really had made an impact yet, so we're still awaiting that. So overall, the government has been supportive um, of, of tech but hasn't uh, invested that much until now. And um, and most of the initiatives that that have come forth um, came from regional investment funds. They did exist. So we have um, provinces have money to spend. All these funds are all around hundred million or sometimes more that can be invested in mostly deep tech companies in early stages. And then um, the other developments usually are just market driven. But TechLeap is there to slightly fill a gap, not not in terms of obviously investment, but in terms of a one-stop shop for Dutch entrepreneurs and indeed people who might be thinking about relocating to Holland to kind of find their way through uh, to all the sources they need to kind of support their startups. Well, we, we don't do... Um... We have a, there's an agency in the Netherlands to do acquisitions of companies to uh, to bring them to the Netherlands and to attract uh, investment. What we do do is uh, match companies, uh, so startups, scale ups with uh, foreign um, investment funds that, that are that are looking to invest in in Europe. Um, so we do try to in, uh, attract investors, but we don't actively attract companies. What we do do is we look at basically at the, at the ecosystem. Um, so it's, it's about access to capital, access to technology, access to market, and access to talent, and see where there are weaknesses. So how can we attract the best talent? How do we ensure that there's um, uh, that reskilling is happening for the new kinds of jobs where there are short, where there's a shortfall? Um, how can we ensure to to get um, institutional investors to invest in venture capital so that we grow the pool of, of investment? Um, what can we do um, in the universities to get more entrepreneurship? To to ensure that we find that, that technology that's developed there is commercialized more efficiently. That you know companies scale that come out of universities. Those kind of questions we do uh, get involved with. 
And we basically do two things. One is we work with the entrepreneurs directly, and we try to draw lessons from that to then improve the ecosystem around those entrepreneurs so that uh, we, we learn collectively and that the Netherlands as a whole becomes more uh, friendly for tech entrepreneurs. So let's talk about some of the Dutch unicorns. You, you mentioned Booking.com, which is uh, very well known, but selling out early to the US again, it's a, a, a kind of perennial theme in, when you talk about European tech, about um, European companies uh, being sold a relatively young age to US investors. But there are some other stellar successes. Takeaway has been in the news, obviously, an enormous amount uh, because it uh, gobbled up Just Eat and looks to be well on the way to being um, one of the dominant delivery platforms uh, globally. What, what, what do you think lies behind the success of Takeaway as a, as a Dutch company? I think it's the entrepreneur. Um, I think the... Uh... Jitze Groen, who is the, the founder, is one of the only founders of delivery companies still actually um, leading the company. Uh, most of them have been replaced by uh, executives. He, um, he is, in that sense, quite exceptional because he combines uh, grassroots development with um, aggressive acquisitions and uh, has grown you know, through that in Germany and in Europe and has been um, just just considering that he was still in process um, of um, merging with um, Just Eat and he already pounced on uh, Grubhub in the US um, as a strategic move. Um, not many entrepreneurs are, are that gutsy. So it, I really think it is um, exceptional teams, exceptional entrepreneurs. Same we've seen with Adyen, um, the payments company, um, very dedicated, very focused. So that's a team. Adyen um, is a 20 billion pound, 20 billion euro company now. Another it's Dutch now nearly success 40 billion. Story. Now nearly forty billion. It, it, See, it, yeah, it grows really website. fast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I know we can't keep up with them. Are these guys learning the lessons? Do you think of kind of holding on, staying put, uh, and not selling out? These guys were very, um, very seasoned entrepreneurs. So um, the, the team of Artyen had already built Bibit, and they sold their uh, to um, I think the Royal Bank of Scotland, and it became World Pay. Um, with another a few other acquisitions, so they basically had a, had experience and they 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 built a new company around payments and and were successful. Um, Elasticsearch as well. The, um, it was a, a seasoned founder who had built three companies and uh, and also acquired a number of companies and put them together, uh, which then formed Elasticsearch. Um, so I think it is, it's fair to say that, um, that entrepreneurs that have um, some experience and some companies under their belt are more likely to be successful than, company, than first-time companies. But, but um, um, there are exceptions, like Just Eat um, Takeaway, where Jitze Groen was a first-time entrepreneur and he took, it, he took the company from uh, delivering pizzas on his bike to, uh, to where it is now. What an amazing, amazing success story. Who, who do you think will be the next big uh, names coming out of uh, the Netherlands? Well, we have um, in food delivery, uh, I know it's actually this is uh, retail, um, it's Picnic. They are a fast-growing company that uh, do um, uh, grocery deliveries uh, at your doorstep with uh, electric vehicles, and they are a completely data-driven um, company, uh, and they are expanding into uh, the rest of Europe. Um, that's obviously a very capital-intensive activity. They have to bear, build warehouses, etc. 
um, but they are they are moving aggressively and they're well capitalized, so they're likely to be a, a company, um, kind of a unicorn company soon. We have another company which I really like is um, uh, GitLab. When well, we claim it, because the founder is Dutch, but it's a Dutch uh, Ukrainian company, and they're based in uh, San Francisco. Though they don't really have a, um, an office, uh, they work uh, completely remotely and uh, are competitor to GitHub. Um, very interesting company. Um, then we have another payment company called Molly. They are uh, growing really fast. Um, we have uh, MessageBird, which is a um, which is more in the in the, in the ad space and connecting to your customers. So we really have a number of companies coming up. And and if if anything, if you look at the Dutch ecosystem, it's it's small but it's very diverse. So we don't have the kind of specialization that you see in some other ecosystem because uh, the whole country is is acting like an ecosystem. So we have. Um, uh, optics in uh, and and so um, which currently is under a lot of interest by Chinese investors, but uh, so photonics chips development, uh, semiconductors all around ASML um, and and NXP in the south of the country, um, a lot of uh, initiatives around around energy, uh, new energies, but also food, medical, um, and then obviously the SaaS. SaaS platforms um, uh, that we see mostly coming out of Amsterdam, Utrecht. So um, it's it's pretty diverse. Yeah, you sort of you sort of anticipated what, what I was going to come on to and sort of answered it, but I still want to explore it a, a bit more, partly because I'm sort of set in my ways. But um, I wondered if there was a particular kind of Dutch speciality, because you mentioned at the beginning, obviously, in a lighthearted way, but there's an element of truth in it that half of uh, the Netherlands would be underwater if it wasn't for... Uh, being adept at technology. And I wondered, uh, particularly I focused on food, valley and agriculture, the need, uh, you know, Holland is a very densely populated country. Uh, you know, areas like agriculture and clean tech, I would imagine would be areas where the Dutch experience brings a sort of added value, if you like. Yes, yes, I think it does. But um, because these, these areas have been... Um, driving innovation for quite a while and these sectors are being kind of pre-tech um, it's it's getting them out of incremental innovation into disruptive innovation so we we have a bit we're suffering a bit from uh, early movers in those areas so we've been our um food production is is probably the highest has the highest productivity in uh, in in europe and even globally um and i think we were the second biggest exporter of agricultural produce in the world uh, after the US, which is for a small country is quite extraordinary. Um, but it means that a lot of that innovation is already in in that market and it's very set in its ways. And um, this is the challenge of, of, of the whole tech development is that you can do things uh, differently with different business models, service-driven business models, um, AI-driven. And um, and it's, it's sometimes easier to start clean sheet than to start from um, a, a legacy base. For instance, if you... As you mentioned, uh, we, we are underwater, so we are, have been always been pioneers in water management and uh, um, delta technologies. But we don't see um, yeah, very exciting startups uh, coming out of this domain that are uh, beyond a certain scale. So we see a lot of t technology development, but how do you go from technology development to building a company that then establishes itself and then starts growing and maybe does acquisitions and then becomes a, a European, uh, regional or even global player. That 
play is is a different play, and um, and that's the one of the main challenges we're seeing in 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 the Netherlands is that we have um, very serious clusters around uh, things like optics and um, um, that could could emerge um, as uh, you know semiconductor cl clusters, but it's really getting them from that early stage technology to um, to mature businesses um, in new areas and and is and embracing that disruption. Um, that is what what we, we see as a challenge. I don't know whether regulation is still something that you take an interest in. You, you worked at the European Commission. I mentioned that Neely Crows was um, the digital commissioner. I thought very, very pioneering. She really put um, kind of tech on the map for Europe. And I remember as a minister, the Dutch were the first people to pass a net neutrality law. And just to um, perhaps maybe start an argument with you for the fun of it. I mean, I'm, I'm a, <laughs> I was always a bit opposed to net neutrality. I thought it was regulation that was um, unnecessary. But we we did uh, pass a European law and I was quite influenced by the experience of um, the Baltic states who said they wanted um, uh, net neutrality to prevent uh, dominance by Russian internet um, providers. But I'm, I'm taking a long time to ask a, a pretty simple question, which is I think Mark Rutte as prime minister is highly influential in the kind of European ecosystem. We've, we've been talking for 20 minutes about the, the Dutch kind of pioneering uh, in the tech ecosystem. I mean, is this is is tech regulation a big debate in Holland? Do you do Dutch politicians get involved in you know what to do about Facebook, what to do about Google, digital service tax, all these kind of issues that are big debates in the UK? It's a debate, and I think um, so. Um, um, there's been some pioneering, for instance, around uh, level playing field uh, in terms of. Um, state aid regulation and uh, procurement, um, where uh, the Dutch Ministry of Economic Affairs actually um, issued a paper, which is quite influential in Brussels. Um, uh, but I think, no, on the whole, it's not a it's not a, a wide debate. I mean, we obviously around everything around uh, uh, misinformation, fake news, and and those things. That's pretty similar as in other places, um, but. Um, no, on the whole, I mean, the Netherlands is very pro-technology, um, and I think the um, the uh, net neutrality regulation that you mentioned was uh, was a bit a bit of an outlier, actually, that we were, um, uh, and that had to do with the politics at the time, um, because in a, I don't think we we have uh, there was a, a, a deep underlying philosophy there or culture um, to. Uh, to stop the telcos developing or something. Um, so, and when we when we had that reg regulation in uh, when we started that in um, in the European Union, it was also it was part of a much bigger package. It was a it was a rebalancing of the telco sector in Europe by on the one hand creating opportunities for investment, and on the other hand ensuring that all new developments would uh, would not be blocked by um, by certain. Well, semi-monopolistic behavior of uh, of the network uh, owners, and I think we found a relatively good balance, even though the package was um, ripped apart and and just uh, I think roaming and net neutrality were the two survival elements, surviving elements in uh, in the whole package. 
and but as as we said at the time, sometimes you know you have to you have waves, and and the first wave will uh, will not be successful. But we saw that. Uh, then a subsequent wave of reforms in the telco um, uh, market had uh, actually did deliver uh, more liberalization. So uh, let's let's see. I think we, as Europe, had a big challenge that that um, um, our our tech scene was too dominated in the nineties and, and the early two thousands by the telco sector, and therefore we we thought we were at the front uh, of things with our mobile developments and and actually we missed the uh, the whole uh, internet and then we missed the platform economy and then you know we missed we missed a lot of uh, steps that are that have put uh, um, some really big leading american companies in in uh, in the lead globally and made us relatively dependent on them and uh, and we should avoid that happening again and i think part of that is the rebalancing of uh, of the whole infrastructure complex telco infrastructure and the services that come on top so we're seeing now that the discussion has shifted towards uh um i would say platform neutrality or in some ways you know um, ensuring that that uh the big platform companies give easy uh, or and fair access to third parties especially you know smes and, and tech companies to to the final customer and I think that's what you know, Madame Vestager and others are now working on in the, in the European Union. It's all about the data. But do you think, um, I mean, do you think Europe will ever catch up with the States? I mean, it is, it is a sort of great irony that taken together, Europe is both more populous and wealthier than the United States, yet we still seeming, uh, you know, and the Dutch experience is fascinating because more and more Dutch unicorns are emerging. But these great European players to compete now the UK is the UK is fascinating, um, and the UK is actually a, a, an incredible example in tech um, because in the nineties, uh, I remember during uh, the early two thousands a report uh, also for the World Economic Forum on um, e readiness and uh, and innovation in the UK. This was still under Blair, and um, and it was a benchmark uh, study we did, and uh, and the UK was uh, was. At the time, trailing in terms of innovation and uh, investment, and really through policy and through a number of interventions, became uh, an ecosystem, a tech ecosystem, which is which can compete with um, with Silicon Valley, and um, and it shows um, that that policy can have an impact. We've seen it also in in countries like Israel that have been. For their size, have been remarkable in terms of innovation and and churning out uh, new companies and attracting capital, but also Singapore and other areas. So now I think um, there's a lot you can do with um, with policy um, as long as you obviously respect uh, that the market in the end is going to drive uh, job growth and and uh, investment, and it should not be dominated until you know eternity by by the public sector. But the, the the public sector definitely has a big role to play to to kickstart this development and and in Europe you know we are really good in other technologies so we missed out on platforms and and we maybe don't have the big software companies but if you now look at how we deploy AI and uh, genomics and other uh, other technologies in other sectors in, in especially in deep tech and if you look at a company like ASML in the Netherlands which is a um, a global um, globally dominant player in its in its niche, and there are many companies in in Europe that that can still claim that. 
I think there's no reason why uh, Europe shouldn't uh, shouldn't bounce back if we have the right policies. Yeah, it's true. I mean, I think the UK has an inherent advantage in the sense that US investors feel more comfortable with the UK being their first port of call in Europe, and also UK entrepreneurs feel more comfortable moving to Silicon Valley, if you like. But um, it is also true that a relentless focus on tech does uh, pay off. So I'm sort of quite pleased that you're jealous of the UK, particularly if some of no, and you have I mean with, with Tech City and then and then Tech Nation and your Scale Up Institute, and you have a, a minister for entrepreneurship. I mean, you've done a lot in this domain, and you had um, you also had um, prime ministers that were um, really keen on this topic, and um, and I think that has has definitely made an impact. And uh, now, and you see it in the in the fintech companies that come from the UK, and um, and then um, and also AI companies, and. Um, it's 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 impressive, and then what Cambridge has been producing as well in deep tech. Um, so uh, no, I think there's a lot to be to be proud of in um, in the UK tech e- uh, ecosystem. But now you're seeing com- uh, countries like France um, investing uh, a lot, um, and you see how fast they can actually um, pick up this pace and uh, and start producing companies. And they were um, concerned about there were so few um, real um, say unicorns being developed or uh, the kind of scale-ups that you'd expect, but that's now changing, and and France being able to attract a lot of uh, capital from abroad as well. Um, centers like Berlin that have been uh, have been performing, uh, but also Stockholm, and and uh, we also obviously mentioned Amsterdam. So there's there's a very um, strong and positive development, and uh, which makes me very positive and optimistic about uh, about where we're going, and I hope that COVID is a uh, is an accelerator of this. Seeing that digital and and and, and green are the two driving uh, forces, um, and and many opportunities, obviously in the medical space as well and in the health space. I think there are there are really a lot of opportunities that we can now um, build on. Do you spend a lot of time with your European colleagues? Do you sit down with the French and the Germans and the others and the Swedes and swap notes? Well, with the the French are very well organized. So La French Tech um, and uh, and and uh, France Digital, you know, they are uh, they're well organized and and also also pretty well uh, networked in Brussels. Uh, uh, Germany is a bit less uh, less so, but we have more kind of individual contacts with people. The Swedes have a different setup; it's more governmental still. Um, and then uh, with the UK, with the uh, Tech Nation, is a good good partner to work with. Uh, we actually modeled part of what we're doing to um, the, the Scale-Up Institute and, uh, and Tech Nation. Um, and, um, and then the Israelis, for instance, the, the Scale-Up of the Startup Nation Central, they, uh, um, we took their idea of uh, building a database and trying to make that as operational as possible. So basically you can take from, um, from different um, different organizations, but um, we don't spend much time uh, on policy, uh, especially not in in Brussels. That's quite remote for for the kind of activities that we do and our goals. So supporting entrepreneurs, we feel that uh, European framework legislative frameworks are um, are difficult to influence from a national base. So we do work with. Um, allied for startups or um, the the European Startup Network, um, but we're not that. That's not um, our priority. 
Brilliant. Well, look, um, I wanted to end on a slightly lighthearted note, but obviously, uh, I don't. Uh, you don't have to address this question, but you are a member of the Dutch royal family. How uh, I, does that make the Dutch royal family the most tech-friendly royal family in Europe? I don't know. I, I, <laughs> Is it all online? And because uh, it, I think it's known as the. It was known as the bicycling monarchy. Maybe it should be the digital monarchy. I don't know. What's well, it's. it's you know, monarchy is all virtual. Huh? It's it's what you make of them. Uh, but um, no, actually, the most uh, the most digital is. I have a cousin who's actually built. Um, he built his business. Uh, he has an IT business, and he has some six, seven hundred people working for him. And um, and and if you say, well, he's actually a really good entrepreneur, and he's now he bought the racetrack, and he want he wanted to he reintroduced the Formula One in in the Netherlands, which through COVID was not actually not helped but um, we do have a number of family members that uh, that are very active in um, in tech and uh, which is an inspirational force and my brother used to work at Goldman Sachs and he he actually invested in Adyen uh, so he was a, he was a lucky guy um, but he was in tech early um, so um, yeah tech does come natural but we we you know our royal family is slightly odd in that sense is that we all have to earn our own um, salaries and, and money and are actually supported by going, by being left alone to develop our own careers. So um, there's quite a lot of entrepreneurship in uh, in our family. And uh, and we do many of these roles, like, like the one I have today, not as a member of the royal family, but in a private capacity. And I don't say it doesn't help to be part of the royal family because it opens doors and attracts attention. But uh, we couldn't do it in as a member of the royal family because then you're too restrained. How fascinating! And um, I think you're hosting uh, part of the Euros next year, which have been postponed by a year. What do you think are the chances of the Dutch winning the European Championships? Aha! Um, <laughs> uh, well, we haven't seen them play for a while. I mean, I joked earlier about how. Everywhere I turned in the 2010s, British companies were being run by the Dutch. And now, obviously, Europe's most successful team, Liverpool, is dependent on a Dutchman. Yeah, two Dutchmen. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I hope they are. We, well, we are also dependent on the same Dutchman. Um, and I hope they perform. <laughs> they will perform the same, it's the same way. Uh, no, it's a young team. And... Um, and um, there was a lot of enthusiasm, obviously around Ajax, uh, but uh, there's also realism. Is that if you don't, uh, if you don't play until the last and keep your your focus until the last second, then um, you know you can still be you can still be kicked out of the uh, Champions League. So uh, let this be for the European champions as well. We have to get you know focus, and uh, and I think uh, the team has the qualities absolutely to be uh, to be the champion so uh, and we we're we're longing for it we've been uh, second too many times second or third also in the world cup so we have to now nail this one well let's hope that uh, the dutch football team can follow the success of dutch tech because i think uh, dutch tech is um well into the premier league now and that was a fascinating tour of um what is happening in holland and i'm very grateful indeed for you spending your time with me thank you so much it was a pleasure and I uh, hope to uh, meet face to face soon. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Vasey View, a production of Kindred Media.